Welcome to the Irish Times Book Club with um, myself, Martin Doyle, um, our special guest today, Colin Barrett, author of Young Skins, and my colleague Dominic McMullen. Young Skins has won three prizes, the Frank Connor International Short Story Award, the Rooney Prize for Irish Literature, and the Guardian of First Book Award. So I've got to ask, Colin, has your living room become some kind of a shrine? <laughs> a shrine to myself? Uh, no. Not, not quite. The, the, the Guardian Award is there because it was a solid, transparent glass kind of brick okay. <laughs> with my name embossed on uh-huh. it. So that's there, yeah. And the other two, they were just checks. The other two, hardly oh, cashed. There was, some, there was some nice stuff, yeah. Um, there was some nice things given, um, but no, my my living room is too small for. <laughs> It's quite. An ach- it's obviously quite an achievement for a first book to pick up so many awards. Is it hard to kind of keep your feet on the ground? Um, does it obviously it gives you a sense of financial security, confidence that maybe there's a, you can make a career as a writer? But does it also heap a lot of pressure on your shoulders? Yeah, it does both those things basically. Um, I'm acutely aware of how lucky I am with the attention the book has got and. The attention is sustained. It's it's been pretty much incessant between here in the UK and back here again, um, and I really appreciate how unusual that is with the first book, especially the first book of short stories. Um, I when I was writing them about halfway through, uh, the Sting and Fly Journal, my original publisher in Ireland, um, the editor there had had intimated he would publish a full length collection, so I, I had that knowledge in my head. This is maybe four four years ago I was aware of that um, but that was all the only thing I knew for sure was a small Irish publisher was going to put the book out and mm-hmm. it was short stories which are you know not very not regarded as commercially viable and there was a lot I didn't know I, I just focused on finishing the book you know making it as good as I could and getting it out and I was delighted with that anything anything after was a a, a massive bonus um, so so for everything that's happened since it's been amazing, and it does bring a kind of pressure. And I'm kind of I'm 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 in I'm getting into the second book only only now really because it was kind of stop start with the, with the attention over the last year, and anything I've written like six months ago I now look at and think is horrible. So I've kind of had to start again. And <laughs> okay, the short story collection is set in a small town in Mayo and Glen Bay, and you yourself grew up in a similar small town. Was that a, a challenge for you to, to write about somewhere that might be identified with your with your own locale? Were you sensitive as to how it might be perceived by people that you'd grown up with or, you know, friends of your parents or whatever else? Yeah. To be honest, I wasn't too worried about that. I wasn't too worried about scandalising the neighbours. <laughs> I, I wasn't too worried about that. But I, it did take me a long time to figure out that that's what I... that was, it, it was a subject matter that um, I could get... that, you know, I could write good stories out of basically that's what I um, wanted to know did you know when you went in starting to write the first stories about Glen Bay did you know that they were all going to be based in this one little town the collection was not not necessarily I just kind of started writing stories set in small town set in you know a fictional small town and I wrote two or three of them interspersed with other stories set elsewhere you know about different subject matter but they basically weren't <laughs> as good as the ones set in Set in this small town, it seemed to, that locale. It just seemed to bring a certain energy and intensity and focus to the stories and the characters. And then I, it was just kind of a practical decision to set them all in Glen Bay because 
rather than set them in a series of either real towns or a series of fictional towns. I just thought it would be easier and more in- more interesting. The stories could kind of talk to each other that that way if they were all set in the same fictional locale. There's not necessarily many significant recurring characters, but nonetheless, I think the stories maybe they do they do have some sort of unifying. I don't know, some sort of cohesion just, just by setting it in the same place. Mm. So that was just something I kind of realised as I went along. Very, very little is successfully premeditated. Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of, if you're lucky, you're, you're alert to things, you discover things as you go along. I also find it interesting, me and Martin were talking about this earlier, that I think oftentimes creatives find it almost easier to create when they're doing it within a confined space, within parameters that they have set. Yeah. And you seem to kind of done that through the town but also through just the fact that they are short stories is yeah. that is that kind of on purpose and have you have you tried to write a novel for example I think that's right I'm trying to write a novel now and I'm finding you have to put yourself in the same L- limitations aren't really limitations you know and that's what you, you realise as you go along they actually do help you inspire you and generate material you need boundaries you need a frame in which to you know paint your picture or whatever metaphor you want to use um, it's it's not a boundary. It's not a thing that inhibits you. It is actually a thing that helps helps you create and it helps you make choices, which is a very hard thing to do. I I've written a lot myself, obviously, before I got published, and I've met a lot of I know a lot of aspiring writers and successful writers and people s- starting out. And I, there's a lot of talent out there, but you do have to something you just have to start making decisions in in your work sometimes and as you go along I had the exact same thing when I was younger I just didn't want to make any decisions I kind of I kind of wanted to write about everything or I wanted to write something completely new and original you know you have all these ambitions you don't want to go over that's part of why it took me so long maybe to write these stories because they I didn't want to do something I thought had been done before which you know is you know, when you don't know anything, you think that, that all this stuff's been done before. But it, I eventually realised I had a a moment and realised there's there's stories here to tell, there's material, there's something unique there. There's a bit of an ambivalence, isn't there, about the short story? Um, some people would see them as a an apprentice work, whatever. Others would say that some of the greatest writers um, have been masters of the short story. They seem to have come back into back into vogue a bit. Um, how big a fan were you of the short story? Is that what led you to, for your first work to be short stories? My first work was short stories just because I liked the form so much. I liked them so much. They were probably the form I discovered last. I, I read a lot of poetry and novels when I was younger and as a teenager and in college. But I hadn't read that many short stories and I, I only really got into them in my early 20s when I kind of discovered journals like The Sting and Fly here and Paris Review and... Um, discovered contemporary short story writers which can sometimes be very buried you know mm-hmm. you, you know James Joyce wrote Dubliners but you know the, the the average reader even someone who reads a lot may not necessarily they wouldn't be able to name you two or three short story living short story practitioners so it was kind of hard to especially pre-internet up until I was in my late teens I, I lived in a essentially pre-internet era it was hard to hard to find them so I discovered them last up in in college really mm-hmm. um, and I just fell in love with the form uh, I don't I don't consider them apprentice work or anything like that they've much less of a relationship I think to to novels to other narrative forms than would appear you've likened them to poetry in the past haven't you I have just because yeah poetry or theatre just again kind of what you're talking about Dominic the, the um, this need for there's, there is some sort of 
there's a structural element to them. There's a real structural element to two short stories, um, like with poetry, you know, um, in that maybe you're, you're, you're sticking to rhyme or metric or whatever, or in certain types of poetry anyway. And, and, and a play has certain kind of stru- structures as well. And, and I think short story just has that element to it. And whereas a novel it just can be can be so much more open and digressive and kind of baggy and can kind of write itself as it goes along. A, a short story really has to you have to know what you're doing with them, and that's why they're so hard to get right because mm-hmm. you don't have <laughs> fifty thousand words to mm. kind of find your to tune it. You know, it, it it works or it doesn't. I kind of thought that when I was reading them, I was wondering, do you do you know what's happened to the people before? And after, like we're getting a little clip of, of, of this moment in time where something is happening to them. In yeah. your head, do you know, you know, Bat's whole backstory and, and, and then what's going to happen to him? Do you have that in your head while you're writing? Um, I kind of, I really, I discover it as I go along. I just start with small moments and then I discover it. Again, I just think that's, a, that's part of the, that's what I love about short stories, that they, only, they do only give you this kind of glimpse. They do, they just show you something. And that's it. They don't really stick around to explain it or justify it or mm. diagnose, you know, someone's childhood or, you know, go tell you the rest of their life. It is just presented and that's all you have to go on. And that gives a very, if it's done well, I think it just gives a really intensive experience. And it's how we live a lot of our lives, really. You just you get glimpses of things. Not, you're not always lucky enough, even with people you know really well, mm. to get the full story behind their their lives and why they why they are the way they are and so much of life passes like that it just happens to you it just occurs I don't know there's something about short stories that discipline of just sticking to that just presenting events I just wonder is the you know the your sort of early days in poetry I think Paul Muldoon was an early influence yeah. I just wonder is does that feed into the very rich language that you use like one of the things that I find most striking about your short stories is you know they're set in um, among people with pretty limited lives and yet your narrators or your or you as a narrator manages to both be down there with the people but also a very rich register a very some very sophisticated um, language for example teeth might be bicuspids rather than mm. just simply teeth and so forth and the vasculature of of the um, underside of a car for example um, that speaks to me uh, of somebody who's you know got a deep love for language and uh, takes great care with there's a great precision as well as like you know it's very strong plotting it's very good stories but the language is is highlighted yeah i definitely i'm just i just love i'm you know just a word nerd and <laughs> love reading thesauruses and the dictionary <laughs> discovering where you know words came from and all that uh, and i just did i didn't want to do that thing where if you're going to write about this, you know, whatever so-called working class or marginal people or people with limited education, that you sort of, I, I, you know, this, uh, this, uh, I think it's a bit easy and pandering to maybe write with a limited vocabulary because of that, because the, lang- the language is the medium. It's more than just the method by which these characters are expressing themselves. It is the medium you're choosing to tell the story in, and you shouldn't prohibit yourself, I think, from using. You know, there's no words you're not allowed to use, mm-hmm. I think. And I just liked the effects of mixing high, mixing high and low, essentially, uh, that you're talking about there, Martin, you know. It just, it was just interesting to do. It's what I like in writing. 
I read you speaking somewhere about you know how the richness of the rural idyllic you just you know you discovered um, the potential of that in the works of people like say Pat McCabe, uh, Richard Ford. Uh, could you enlarge a bit on, on that then that um, yeah. approach to small towns or well that, well that, that's basically it. You find people who are who are doing it you know brilliantly and you more or less you know lift lift off them. Not just them, but um, people like, uh, I mean, someone like William Faulkner, you know, just same thing, you know, he writes these incredible modernist, you know, structurally ambitious stuff about a bunch of, you know, mm-hmm. you know redneck lunatics or whatever. Um, and it, it was just always a very intoxicating, uh, appealing mix to me, high and low, and, and that, what you're talking about Pat McCabe and all that, just that antic energy, mm-hmm. it's always been there in Irish writing energy and, and in the American writing, I like and it's it's just a, what I've always been attracted to, simply. It's funny, you mentioned James Joyce's Dubliners earlier on, which is maybe the, the classic Irish short story collection, and of course it's famous for the paralysis that afflicts its characters. They're stuck, and it suddenly struck me that actually you're writing maybe 100 years later and set in a rural Irish town rather than Dublin, and yet the, the same affliction seems to apply. Would you Do you see the... The connection, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's hard it's hard to get away from from Joyce's from Joyce anyway. But um, uh, I love that collection, and again, it's not something you go in, you know, thinking about in advance. I'm going to write, you know, you don't go in with a thesis. But I mean, that's that's history. That's the way circumstances have contrived to to land a lot of people with with. And again, it wasn't something that was really. I was not intending to write about economics circumstances or post-Celtic Tiger Ireland, but mm. you know I, I've travelled. I, I came to Dublin in in the early late nineties, early two thousands to college, and was working up here during the boom years. And I've travelled back and forth incessantly on buses and trains to Mayo, so from coast to coast, and you know it's all empty, boarded up houses now and people in towns have you know some of these towns are just dying they're just dying on their their feet and uh, there's still people living there so it, it was a case of of kind of trying to figure out why why people would stick around it, it, you know it's, it is different now obviously in the 21st century it's a lot easier to travel abroad going to the states or australia isn't the same as it was mm-hmm. it's not the kind of life necessarily the kind of life altering you know thing it was 100 150 200 years ago but it's still, it's still having to happen because that's, you know, emigration is yeah. still a vital part of the Irish psyche. You, you refer to people who are there, you kind of measure it out, you refer to people who are still there and who want to be there and are quite happy to be there and don't have the ambition to leave. Mm. But then you also, some of your characters feel very trapped and you kind of even, there's, there's references all through the book to the feeling of, you know, small confined spaces and being trapped and... I'm just interested of what you felt like growing up in Mayo. Did you, did you, were you one of the people who felt trapped, or was it was it something that you even kind of felt at all growing up there? I I didn't feel trapped, but I could recognise it when I saw it, and there was maybe it's not particular to Mayo. It's, I think it's mm. wherever you are um, in your community, but you'll you'll know people who maybe. Are, are stuck and don't have as many options as they think they have or, or, or can have. I, I actually, my family, we we, we travelled a bit. They, they they were immigrant immigrant immigrants, and um, they you know I I lived in Canada when I was young and Australia briefly as well. 
So I was back and forth actually out of Mayo. So I did have a different experience to a lot of people. Even by the time I was going into secondary school, I'd already lived in, in Canada for two or three years in, in Australia. So I had a sense of sort of the relative nature of of me of of me of the town I was from. <laughs> you know, but I, I you know I'd been elsewhere and. Were you writing? I, I, I probably was still, yeah, even From at that stage. Age. I was I was doing, like, comic books and stuff, yeah. I was always trying to, yeah. I always had to have narrative in my play when I was playing. I always had to have a little story been told, you know. That's why I think Patrick McCabe was into comics in his early days as well. Mm-hmm. You, of course, were one of the brain boxes who got away to brain box land, whatever. Like, <laughs> um, you couldn't see yourself going back there, I imagine, or, or could you? I still go back a lot, and I, I like going back, and I've kind of... You know, when you're a teenager, you can't wait to get out of wherever you are, and then uh, you s- you come back and you kind of realise there's lots of brilliant stuff here. My my um, family are still there, and mm-hmm. the community there is just through a series of experiences they had themselves. You know, you get community and you get people who care about you in a way that I really appreciate. It's striking, actually, that despite the the limited lives or whatever, the, the it's quite a sympathetic portrayal. I would say, like the there are. The characters may not get up to good deeds or whatever, like, but very few of them are out and out bad people. And um, you know, you think you feel a warmth, a sympathy for for a lot of the characters, um, which is positive. One of the things that that struck you rereading it um, was that there were a lot of double acts. There's a lot of um, friendships um, mm. in the stories, which is maybe where that kind of humanity shines through, the kind of redemptive quality that, however flawed they might be individually, they sort of stood up for each other, are hung together. A lot of, in, in the stories there's a lot of sort of, yeah, male, male young male double acts, um, uh, and male friendship is a strange thing, and it, 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 it has a lot of, um, there can be a big emotional bond there actually, but obviously it, it, never, it rarely gets articulated. Especially in Ireland. Especially in Ireland, yeah. yeah. But uh, there's that and uh, in most of the stories as well, there's, there's hardly any conventionally figured nuclear families intact anyway. There's hardly any with a mam and a dad, mm-hmm. kids all in the one house. Most of them are, you know, what used to be called broken. But all of the characters, again, are, I think, are, are, have, have either... Uh, sort of arrange themselves in de facto fa- fa- familial units or they're in the process of trying to find a, a kind of family of their own so that threads there as well and again it kind of it reflects my own experience but it is about that sense of, of reaching out to people as well as 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 well as the the other thing we talk about like the isolation and the entrapment mm-hmm. there is there is always other people there I loved the collection and then uh, when I saw that you had a story in The New Yorker I was very excited to read it and perhaps showing in gratitude when I saw that it was set in Glan Bay as well I kind of felt slightly disappointed. I just wonder is Glan Bay going to be your bally bag and if so why not? It didn't do Freel any harm or do you think um, you are already moving on and you're capable or keen to explore other territories. No, no, I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be a recurring place. But then I don't know. I'm, I'm moving on by certainly with the novel. I mean, uh, which is what I'm working on now. I'm moving on just because it's a completely different medium and it sure. requires completely re-educating myself in how to write sentences. To be honest, so the material is. Um, can you say something about the new novel? Is it something it's that set you're? It's in Glen Bay. It's, uh, it's not. It's not set in Glen Bay. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. But I mean, it's it's um, 
there'll be a big rural element stuff in it. I, I, I still have a lot to to say about this sort of, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a mindset, it's a temperament, it's a way of life. And I, I still feel like I've there's a lot there. Uh, it won't be literally set in Grand Bay, but it, it, it'll be it'll be somewhere else again. It's still taking shape, so you know I'm not been not been reticent for the sake of it. Grant, I'm impressed by the fact that despite all the awards and you've done a, a master's in creative writing, you've come gone back for more. You're doing a master in fine arts, which is kind of a an extension of an MA in creative writing. Could you tell us why you're doing it and what do you get out of it? Uh, I'm doing it because it has basically requires it, it basically has um, deadlines <laughs> and it requires me to submit a certain amount of material you know at intermittent intermittent periods um, and the, the the thesis essentially what you submit is is a manuscript so it, it's uh, uh, the novel so so I'll be I'm using it mainly to what I'm getting out of it is is just the discipline of, of, of showing up uh, and producing material at, at regular intervals hasn't quite worked out that smoothly but it's still there uh, helped me do that because it, it can be the last year was, was great but obviously it was a bit of distraction and stuff so it's sure. just good to have a nice brutal cold deadline on a Monday morning <laughs> you know. structure again it's maybe, it's, need, yeah. maybe it's your tutors we should be having sympathy for it must be a little <laughs> tough so. to be um, pastoring remarks on, on someone who comes in garlanded with all their medals yeah. oh you get back down to it fairly handily <laughs> once, once someone hands you a, a, an overwritten line you know uh-huh. a few adjectives that need to be struck out it's all the instinct kicks in they're fine <laughs> you said that um, Young Skins took you took you quite a while to write can, can you talk us through your writing day what's a, what's a day for you do you sit there on your own I sit there on my own yeah looking out the window talking to myself looking out the window doing anything to avoid writing you did the floor today, you told us. Yeah, I swept the floor today, yeah. <laughs> you know you're really procrastinating and you start tidying up. You know, going to the shops to do the messages. What about the rewriting process? Is it like a wax and a polish where you're just sort of tidying up a sentence, tightening it up or rewriting a phrase? Or is it like stripping down an engine and really kind of... Oh, it's all... No, it's, it re, uh, most of what I'm really writing is rewriting. Like, you know, the ratio must be, ninety, you know, 99 to 1, I'd say. Uh, it's mostly rewriting. I just I I go at stuff again and again and again. Uh, I do innumerable drafts on your laptop these days. You don't have to physically mm-hmm. um, keep track of how many drafts you do, but I, I do I do lots. And rewriting is a huge, huge part of and my process. How much of an outside input is there in that? Like, is there an editor or someone who's sort of saying, well, obviously you've got the the coursework mm-hmm. if you like. So how much of it is you telling yourself that's not what I'm getting at, I'm not happy with that, or how much of it is uh, either your editor at your publishers or um, on your course. Yeah, I like to get as far as I can with something before I show it to anyone. I do have, you know, a a trusted network of a few people that I can show the stuff to, but I do like to spend a long time on my own with it. Ideally, I wouldn't like to show something until it's finished, you know, Mm -hmm. any more than, than... Two, three, maybe four times max. If I'm if I'm having a real problem with it, but there could be months. You know, there could be months and months in between those showings in which I kind of polish it. Uh, polish it. Now you kind of have to do it yourself. You know, mm-hmm. a, a great, it, you you need to show it to other people. It is great to get an objective viewpoint on something all the time, but you do need to just go off and do it yourself then as well for a, a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, as well as being a student at UCD, you're also um, 
a regular at Trinity College, Dublin, playing football every Wednesday. It was funny, I looked up on Wikipedia and the first Colin Barth that shows up is the Colin Barth who won a league, league winner's medal oh, with yeah. Nottingham Forest. I just wondered, um, <laughs> in a fantasy world, if you had the choice between being a professional footballer and being a, a published writer. <laughs> you can't answer that. <laughs> which, which would you choose? Well, what they get paid these days, I could just be a footballer for a month and I'd be, be fine then for the rest of my life. No, really, I, 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 I think I always, I always would have picked being, being a writer. I do love, I, I just love a bit of physical activity and getting out of the house because writing, you're sitting there, it's such a... It's such a you know an activity where you were just literally you couldn't move you may not move from your desk all day and not talk to anyone and that's if it's going well <laughs> so you can't uh, you can't allow yourself to become too adrift of society so it's good then to have the it's good to have the mini deadline even of of going leaving the house on a Wednesday <laughs> sure okay uh, thanks very much Colin uh, thanks Dominique and Thank you. this Thank was you. the Irish Times Book Club and thanks very much for listening see you next time. <laughs>